All right. Well, if you've got your Bibles, and I hope you do, uh, we are going to be in uh, John, the Gospel of John. And if you're a guest this morning, uh, we have been going through John all year long. Uh, we started back in early January. It was January 2nd, um, and we started with John 1.1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and, and all that good stuff. And week after week, we've been going chapter by chapter, verse by verse, through the Gospel of John, and really kind of wrestling uh, with all of the teachings of the Gospel of John. And, and we're coming to the very end here. We're coming down the home stretch. And uh, many of you, I know, have been reading this daily devotional, uh, and I hope that's been a blessing to you. And I know many of you are also uh, discussing the Gospel of John in your life groups. And so what we've done over the past year is we've looked at just kind of how Jesus kind of came on the scene. Remember, it was that great moment, the wedding at Cana. And uh, Jesus looked at his mom and said, hey, woman, my time has not yet come. And then he performed uh, his first miracle. And we've looked at lots of different miracles. We looked at the seven signs uh, where he performed these miracles. We've looked at these I am statements and we've watched this, the Jesus movement grow and crescendo and more and more people are following Jesus and, and things get really exciting and then some of Jesus' teachings go a little bit, bit sideways because he starts talking about eating his flesh and drinking his blood and a lot of people are like, yeah, we're not following this guy anymore. And so it says in scripture, in the Gospel of John, at that point in time, many people no longer followed him. So this went on for three, three and a half years. And then several weeks ago, we looked at that great passage where Jesus came into Jerusalem uh, on the back of a donkey. It was at Palm Sunday, of course, that, Palm, that, that weekend that we know of as Palm Sunday. And then we kind of slowed down and we looked very diligently and carefully at the events that transpired over the last week, last days, even the last hours of Jesus' life on this earth. We looked at uh, the, the, the farewell discourse that seemed to just go on and on and on, where Jesus is saying goodbye to his disciples, his friends. And then he said, hey, let's go out and pray. They went to the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus was arrested. He faced six different trials. Some of them were civil trials. Some of them were religious trials. And he was convicted to die, to die on a cross. And so he was tortured and he was beaten. And that was kind of it. The Jesus movement was over. People were scared because they thought that the Roman officials were coming after them next. And most people were just sad, devastated, and it looked like everything was all over with. So people went home. And last weekend, we looked at uh, John 20, picking it up with the, uh, that Easter Sunday morning. Because Saturday was quiet. It was, Saturday was the Sabbath, right? That's how Jewish people uh, practiced their faith. They rested on Saturday. So they all went home. So last weekend, if you were here, uh, you know that we picked it up uh, with Mary Magdalene uh, going to the tomb. And then um, she went, she's like, oh, no body here. This is strange. This is weird. And she kind of loses her mind. And she runs back and she tells Peter and John. And John and Peter, they go racing to the tomb. They're like, yep, there is no body here. This is really strange. And so this is kind of where we left it last week, where um, there's an empty tomb. But there's this cloth laying there. And the strange thing about this cloth laying there is that it's, it's just, it's, there's no body 
But there's this cloth, which is very, very strange. Because if you are going to steal a body, why in the world would you, you know, take the time to unwrap all the cloth and then fold it all up nice and neat and lay it back down in the tomb? That's very strange. If you're going to take the body of Jesus, you're just going to pick up the body and you're going to walk out of the tomb. But that's not how it was because they showed up at the tomb and there's the cloth of Jesus. It's very strange. But not only... Um, 75 pounds of this, this cloth, these cloth strips and, and aloes and myrrhs and, and all that are just laying there, um, kind of like a, a, a cocoon a, a, of a mummy, just kind of flat. But also, the face cloth, the person is not wrapped with their face, but they just put a, a, like a cloth napkin over their face. And that, too, was still there. And the thing about this, and we talked about this last week, is it wasn't just kind of, the room wasn't just like a, a big disorganized mess. It was very orderly. It was very neat. And things were folded up. And even that cloth napkin that was over Jesus' face, it was folded up. And this is very, very strange. And I shared this with you guys last week and because, um, because it's an important part of the story for us to understand some of these details. In Jewish culture, in ancient times, if you went to someone's house for a meal... And you really like the hospitality, you like the food, and you plan on coming back, you would crumple up that cloth and you would set it on your plate. And that was your way of communicating to your, go your, your hosts. That was awesome. The hospitality was wonderful. I'm coming back. Invite me back for a meal. But if you didn't like the meal, if you didn't like the hospitality, you would take that napkin, you would fold it up very carefully, and you would set it on your plate as if to say, I'm never coming back here again. And so there's that napkin sitting, that face covering, sitting in the empty tomb, folded up. Jesus has communicated, I'm not coming back to this tomb again. So it's very strange and yet God has left some signs, and John has described these signs. They're almost like breadcrumbs. But God says, hey, I've got these little details in the story that I want to tell you about, and they're really important because I'm still in charge. I'm still in control. And this is what was going on last week. We looked at these different details. But, you know, this is really true throughout Scripture. We read different passages of Scripture throughout the Gospels, through the New Testament, through the Old Testament, where God just sprinkles these breadcrumbs here and there as if to say, these details matter because what I'm trying to communicate to you is I'm still in control. I've got this. The world looks like it's spinning out of control, but I am still sovereign. I'm still good. I'm still faithful. And then God invites us to trust in him, even in the midst of things we don't understand. It's almost like God is winking at the, the disciples when they walk in. I'm not a winker. Anybody? I don't know if any of you are winkers, but I'm not a winker. But if you've ever been around a winker, you know what I'm talking about, right? It's like God is going, yep, folded napkin. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and that's what's going on. And God is inviting us to trust in him. All right, did I, did I give you enough time to get to John 20 this morning? Awesome. All right, let's pick it up. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you uh, that you are a God indeed who comes to us, who meets us, and God who gives us these details 
these incredible details that remind us that you are still good, you are still faithful. And Lord, throughout Scripture, we read this over and over and over, and we're going to read it again today, that you are there and that you are all around us, leading us and guiding us and inviting us to embrace these great events by faith. Lord, may the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are indeed our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So a few moments ago, uh, we, lo- we lit some candles here uh, this morning, remembering the saints in our lives. This is one of my favorite Sundays. I love doing this. Because it reminds me, it's that invitation of those people who've been so meaningful in my life, those saints who have gone uh, before me, who have gone before us, just to honor them and to celebrate their lives and their lives of faith. You know, there was a, a saint uh, from our congregation that I got to know uh, quite a few years ago now, Larry Pritz. And I know some of you guys uh, knew Larry as well. And Larry and I would get together for a cup of tea, a glass of tea over at Panera, my office, and uh, we would just, we'd do life together, and we would talk about life, and we'd talk about our highs and lows, and it was just a great time uh, for me uh, to be mentored, to be encouraged, to be strengthened, and to just really listen to Larry and the ways in which he lived his faith, and just, he was such an encouragement to me. Well, Jesus called Larry home on July 8th, uh, 2019, and uh, I was sad. I was sad when I lost my friend Larry, but I was also sad for Jan because I knew um, they had had this long relationship together. But I knew that Jan has a, a great family. I know that Jan has a great, great friends, church, and those of you who know Jan know that Jan also has a strong faith. So I wasn't too worried about Jan. Well, about eight months after Larry went to be with Jesus, COVID hit, right? And uh, we were all told to uh, be afraid, stay home, lock down. And it was that time in our lives where we just were like, what in the world is going on? And nobody really knew what was going on, right? But what we all experienced was lots and lots of isolation, isolation from one another. And so we picked up the phone and we Zoomed one another and we would meet outside and we did all sorts of crazy things to try and stay connected, but it was still hard. The pandemic quarantine was very hard on all of us relationally. And even our worship services, we weren't gathering live like this, right? We were watching online. And there I was, standing in front of a video camera the week before. I hate the video camera. And all of a sudden, I get to be on YouTube. I never had a, you know, a dream to be on YouTube, but there I was, you know, looking into a video camera, shooting a YouTube video. But it's what we all did, right? It's, and, and so we would gather around our computers, our TVs, whatever we did to watch online and to be, still stay connected with our faith community. But it wasn't the same because we still could not hug one another, we couldn't touch one another, we couldn't you know, be in relationship as, as we were accustomed to and, and being used to. And I remember um, uh, Christmas uh, of 2020. Remember Christmas 2020? I do. There we were, 
shooting another video for Christmas Eve. No live gathering yet again. It was hard. I hated it. I hated not being able to be with you all. As I talked to Jan about Christmas of 2020, she shared with me that it was a real low point for her because she hadn't been with her kids. She hadn't been with her grandkids for weeks, if not months. And she couldn't even be with her church family on that Christmas. And so there's Jan, Christmas, home all alone, standing in her kitchen, feeling really down, missing Larry, missing her family, missing all of us. And as she's looking out the window, a pigeon lands on her deck balcony. Now, Jan had never seen a pigeon on her deck balcony before. And she thought to herself, well, I wish that were a dove, because that would, of course, be the Holy Spirit, right? But it was a pigeon. God can use pigeons, too. And Jan thought to herself, well, that's odd. There's a pigeon just sitting outside my window. I've never, I've lived in this place a long, many years. I've never seen a pigeon sit out there. So she just looked at the pigeon and the pigeon looked back at her and they kind of locked eyes. And Jan said it felt like hours. They were just looking at one another. And then pretty soon after a bit, another pigeon landed next to that pigeon. And they looked at Jan and Jan looked at them. And this went on for some time. And then one of the pigeons hopped over to the edge of the deck and flew away. And then the other one did as well. They were gone. And Jan says, in that moment, her heart was just lifted. Her spirits were lifted. Tears filled her eyes. She began to pray and just thank Jesus for that sign. Now, I don't know what was going on that day. And to be clear, those pigeons, that was not Larry. <laughs> I've heard people in church say, so-and-so became, you know, showed up as a, an eagle or a whatever. That's not what was going on, folks. See, what I think happened on that day is that God directed those pigeons to come to Jan and look her in the eye and, and just remind her, Larry's okay. Larry's in a good place. And I know you miss him, and I know you're sad, and I know you feel alone, but you're going to be okay too. I think it's a wonderful story of how God shows up in our lives. A couple days later, um, Jan's uh, granddaughter, they met out uh, at a park outdoors because that's what we did. Is in the middle of winter, we met outdoors, right? And she made this coffee cup for Jan to be reminded of, as if Jan needed reminding uh, of that pigeon sent from God, from the Holy Spirit. And on the other side, it says, it is well with my soul. I think in that moment, God was winking at Jan. I think it was a God wink. I think God was going, it's okay, Jan. You're going to be okay. Hang on. Keep going. There's a book actually called When God Winks. And the author of this book, his name is Squire Rushnell. This is what he writes about God winks. 
Think back to when you were a child sitting at the dinner table with grown-ups. You looked up and saw a parent or a grandparent smiling at you. And they winked. That wink was a message of loving reassurance. Saying, hey kid, I'm thinking about you. You're okay, hang in there. A God wink is a message of reassurance coming when you need it most, when you are at a fragile moment in your life and when instability is all around. It might be said, in fact, that God winks are the best way for God to make himself known in your life and to provide encouragement. Think about it. If you were God and wanted to communicate with human beings without using a human voice, what would you do? You'd perform little miracles, wouldn't you? You'd create uplifting experiences that cause people to say, what are the odds of this happening? Those are God winks. And so as we continue to look at the story of the resurrection today, a story that I think is very familiar to most of us, that you know the details. I mean, even people who come to church on Christmas and Easter, they know the details of this story. But I want to look at this, this story this morning through the lens of God winks, because I think they're all over the resurrection story. These little miracles, these, these subtle little messages, these, these breadcrumbs that God is communicating something to us, that God, I think, is actually winking at the disciples, and I hope that you would see that I think he's winking at us this morning as well. So we're going to look at John 20, uh, if you've got your Bibles. Here we go. John 20, beginning with verse 17. My goodness. This is why we put it on the screen. Here we go. Now Mary, uh, verse, verse 11. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over and looked into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been. One at the head, the other at the foot, they asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned around and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them I am ascending to, to, my, God and, uh, to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Now this is, a, again, a very familiar story, and I think it's a, it's a serious story. But I think there's at least a couple different uh, God winks, if you will, that show up in the story. And I think one of the first God winks in this story is that there's Mary standing outside the tomb crying. And an angel, or the angel say to her, woman, why are you crying? This is a pretty silly question. I mean, think about it. If you were to go to a cemetery and you saw a woman standing there crying, you would not walk up to her and say, why are you crying? Because she would be like, duh. I lost someone I loved. 
It's a very strange question for anyone to ask. Why are you crying? We would never ask that question. And yet the angels ask Mary this question. And then Jesus asks her this question. I think it's God's way of communicating to us his sense of humor, his sense that in the midst of what nobody understands that he's still in control. This is not a question that any human being would ask. Only God can ask this question, and I think God asks this question because he's winking at us. He's dropping some breadcrumbs for us as if to say, you don't need to cry. I'm still in control. This was all part of my plan. The second part uh, that I think is another God wink in this story that I think is, is frankly kind of hilarious is that Mary's having this conversation with these angels and with Jesus, and she says, Sir, if you carried him away, tell me where you put him, and I will get him. Really? Mary, Magdalene, she's probably 120 pounds, right? Let's say Jesus is 150 pounds. His body has been covered with, uh, with 75 pounds of spices. That means he's about two and a quarter. So petite Mary Magdalene, 120 pounds, is going to go find 225 pounds of dead weight and carry him. This is an absurd statement. Mary is not going to go find Jesus, pick him up and carry him somewhere. Why does she say that? Why does she ask that? Because she loves him. Because she loves Jesus. And this is what love does in our lives. We speak ridiculous things. When we love someone, we say things, we do things, we behave in certain ways that make no sense. And so when Mary Magdalene says, tell me where you put his body and I'll go get it, I think that's God going, wink, come on. I think there's some humor in there that Mary has just kind of lost it. And I think the third thing, the third Godwink, and I mentioned this before in the last couple of weeks, the very fact that here is the resurrection of Jesus Christ and it's three women who show up. This was completely absurd. Everybody in ancient times knew that no woman was allowed to testify in court they were not viewed as being credible. So if you were going to fabricate a story, if you were going to make up a story about Jesus being resurrected from the dead, you never would have written the story this way, that three women show up. And they are the, wit the first witnesses of the empty tomb. This is completely absurd. But this is exactly how John tells the story. By the way, so does Matthew, so does Mark, and so does Luke. You would never write the story this way if you're going to make up a story about the resurrected, a resurrection of someone and, unless it actually happened. And again, I think this is God's way of winking at us and saying, I know this is strange, but I'm still in control. I've got this. Verse 19. 
On the evening of that first day of the week when the disciples were together, the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The, the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, now I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sin, anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. And so Jesus shows up, and the, and the, the, the disciples haven't seen him yet. Only Mary Magdalene has seen Jesus. And so the, the, he, he shows up in this closed room where they're afraid, they're wondering what in the world is going on. And the first words of his mouth our peace be with you. Shalom. And as if they're, they're kind of going, oh my goodness, what is going on? He says it one more time. Peace be with you. Shalom. And I think there's a breadcrumb here. I think there is a God wink in the midst of this. Because just a few days earlier, when the, the disciples are freaking out, Jesus says, I'm going away. Jesus looks the disciples, and John 14 records it this way, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. And so some of the last words Jesus spoke to his disciples before he died on the cross, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. It's almost as if the word peace or shalom is a secret code word. Maybe when you were a kid, uh, you and maybe your siblings or your friends, you had a, a secret password. Did anybody have a secret password like at a clubhouse? And you, somebody would knock on the door and say, hey, what's the secret password? Shalom. And I think the disciples are like, oh, it's Jesus. He spoke the secret password. I think this is a God wink. But not only that, not only this word shalom, this word peace, that Jesus greets them with the very first words out of um, uh, his mouth. And, and then John writes this, and with that, Jesus breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, can we just say this is a little bit weird? I mean, if some of you came here this morning to worship and maybe we haven't seen one another in a while, and you're like, hey, Pastor Brian, it's good to see you. <sighs> That's weird, right? I mean, if, if you come to church on Sunday morning and you start blowing on me, that's just weird. Don't do that. But that's what Jesus does. He starts blowing on the disciples. And, and I don't know exactly what this looks like because John doesn't tell us. And, and I don't know if he just stood in, you know, with the disciples all in the room and he just went like that and, and you know, he breathed on him if it was like that or if he went to every single one. I, I don't know what it looked like, but it's weird. It's very strange. If, if you think about these details, unless you're Jewish, and if you're Jewish, and Jesus starts breathing on you, you're thinking to yourself, oh. And your mind goes back immediately to the book of Genesis. 
when God created the world, when God created human beings. He got together a, a bunch of dirt on the ground. Genesis 2-7 describes it this way. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and he became a living being. That's what they're thinking. They're thinking of Genesis 2-7. Or maybe... They're thinking of the Old Testament story, the book of Ezekiel. Remember dry bones? Things were really bad in Israel for God's people. And, and then the, the prophet Ezekiel speaks to the people. And God is speaking through the prophet, these dry bones that are dead and lifeless, much like the spiritual lives of God's people, the Israelites. And God says, I'm going to rescue the Israelites yet again. And so they, they look out the, the, the valley of the, of the bones. And Ezekiel explains what's going on from God's perspective. God says to Ezekiel, to the people of Israel, I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I'm the Lord your God. See, that's what a Jewish person is thinking. Oh yeah, dead bones, dry bones. God's going to breathe life and they're going to come back to life. And I wonder if some of the disciples were even remembering back in John 3 when Jesus is having that conversation with Nicodemus. This whole idea of being reborn again. John 3, 7, Jesus says to Nicodemus, you must be born again. Well, how are you born again? The breath of Jesus. And so when Jesus walks into that upper room or that room where they're gathered and he starts breathing on them, I think it's in that moment that they are receiving salvation, the breath of life, the very presence, their, their lives come alive in that moment. I think that's what's going on. I think God is winking at all of us, but most certainly at the disciples. I got this. I'm still in control. This, the theological term is, is called justification. It's that moment where we have surrendered our lives. We look to God and say, God, I can't do this anymore. And God comes to us and goes, and breathes the breath of life into us. Some people will say, it's the moment I was saved. It was the moment I was rescued. Martin Luther talks about this. When he was trying to do all the right things, and he came to the end of himself. He said, and then I read in Romans about the justification, the just shall live by faith. And Luther says, you know, that was my tower moment. That's the moment where I came alive. I think that's that moment for Martin Luther where God breathed into him and he received that free gift of grace. You know, someone once said, the two greatest days of your life of the day that you were born and the day that you were reborn. I think it's really true. It's that day that God comes into your life, shows up at your door, oftentimes unexpected, and breathes into your life. Verse 24. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, 
Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again. Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Shalom, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. And I think there are God winks going on all over in this part of the story. So Thomas wasn't there, of course, the first time Jesus shows up. And Thomas says, you know what? Unless I see it, uh, until I can see it, I'm, I'm not going to believe. I need to see it to believe it. Thomas has a, a carnal faith based on the five senses, right? And a person who's got carnal faith, who only believes when, when, when they can actually see it, they will never be satisfied, and we've talked about this over the past few months. Whenever Jesus performed a miracle, there were always people there in their midst who would witness the miracle and they'd be like, yeah, I don't really think so. And I think over and over as Jesus is performing these miracles, he's not doing it for doubters, for, for people with, I'll just say, a carnal faith. He's doing it for those who already believe as a way to reinforce their belief, to encourage them in their belief. And so what Jesus is doing is he's coming along. He's like, all right, Thomas. And again, I think this is a God wink. Because when Jesus shows up, Thomas is like, uh-oh, busted. Now what am I going to do, right? He's going to call me out on my carnal faith. And notice how Jesus responds with grace. He doesn't, Thomas, come on, he doesn't, he doesn't beat him up. He doesn't, you know, ride his case. He's just like, Thomas, all right, let's do this. Touch my hands, feel my side. And I think it's God's way of winking at us. In those moments in our lives, when, when our faith is carnal, we just want to see it. We just want to experience it. I want God to show up at my house at 2 o'clock in the morning, knock on the door, come in the room, perform a miracle, then, I, then I'll believe. You know anybody like that? I got to see it to believe it. I've told you this story before. I had a roommate in college, a freshman roommate, John Henry. And John, let's just say he was not a Jesus follower. John was a big time partier. And he would give me the business uh, for being a Jesus follower. Uh, after, uh, sometime after Christmas, uh, John was down lifting weights. Uh, and, and a weight fell on his thumb. And it started to swell up. And there were some other Christians in the weight room on my college campus. And he's kind of freaking out. And he's thinking, you know, his thumb is broken. And it's getting all big and swelling and all that good stuff. And, and some of these Christians came around him. And they prayed over his thumb. And the swelling went down. And he was in shock. And I remember the day that John Henry showed up in our dorm room. And he's like, Brian, you're not, he called me Goke. Goke, you're not going to believe it. He explained all this stuff that happened. He said, look at my thumb. Look at my thumb. These Christians prayed over my thumb. I've been healed, Gok. And then a few weeks later, John was back to his carnal ways. He was back to not believing in Jesus. See, this is the way it is with many, many people. 
I'll believe it when I see it. Did we show the picture of Stevie Wonder yet? You guys were supposed to laugh. Am I the only one that thought it was funny? Sheesh. You young people probably don't even know who Stevie Wonder is. It's all good. Isn't that great? I mean, there's just some people like that. When I see it, then I'll believe it. But as we think about the Christian faith over the past 2,000 years, the vast, 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 vast majority of Jesus followers, of Christians who've placed their trust in Jesus Christ, have never witnessed a life, a real life, face-to-face encounter with Jesus Christ, right? They believed, they trusted even though they, did, they weren't there on that day when Jesus showed up with Thomas. And I think that's a God wing for us today. Because those of us who have placed our trust in Jesus Christ, sure, we'd like to see Jesus show up in this room and, and perform a miracle. But when God gives us that faith as a gift, that belief, our spiritual faith becomes so real It becomes even, I think, more real than things that are in front of us. The longer you walk with Jesus, the more confident you become in the reality of who he is. Sometimes my wife and I will be out doing something, and oftentimes it's in nature. And we'll look around and we'll see something really beautiful, or you know, maybe we're just looking at a flower, just maybe something real simple. And she'll say to me, I can't believe pe- people look at something like this and they don't believe in God. See, when, you, when God has given you that gift of faith, when God has given you that gift of belief, you can look at the simplest of things. You can look wherever you look around in, in, in community, um, in nature, in people. And, and the more you study and think about life and the world and all that's going on, you're just like, oh my goodness, God is amazing. Am I right? Amen. I mean, this is just how it is, folks. You can present some people with all the evidence in the world and it's not going to make a hill of beans difference. And I think perhaps this might be one of the most powerful God winks ever. This paradox that when we believe, when God gives us that gift of belief, even though we don't see it, we have this incredible assurance in our lives. And Jesus is just so real. Jesus is more real than I'm looking at you guys this morning. And so as we look at these saints and their lights, we think about their witness and the ways in which they had every reason to not believe in Jesus, and yet they did. Their faith was so real. That is a gift from God. He just gives it to you. And I think perhaps that is the biggest God wink in this story and perhaps the biggest God wink in the Bible and perhaps the biggest God wink in our lives. That God simply comes to us and gives us this free gift, this thing that we can't see, touch, you know, and and he's just like, I'm going to give it to you. And we're like, ah, I get it now. I get it. God, you are good and you are faithful and you've surrounded me with all these wonderful people. Godwinks are going on all around us each and every day. And I think when we open our eyes and just say, God, show me what you're up to today, 
I think we'll see them. I think oftentimes we miss these God winks because we're not looking for them. We're so busy doing what we're doing. This past week, um, I was trying to give away some money, your money, frankly. Uh, we made a commitment in 2022 uh, to give uh, about $8,000 uh, to support church planting. And uh, we're at that time of the year, we're kind of looking at the budget, and we're thinking, okay, what do we still need to do with the budget this year to kind of make things happen? And we'd only given away about $4,000 for our church planting ministry. And so uh, I, I contacted one church planner over in Albania and said, hey, can you use some money? And they're like, yep. So we sent $1,000. You sent $1,000 over to Albania. I contacted another church planter, uh, Caleb and Emma, who are planting, uh, helping plant the Salt Church right here on campus uh, in, in Bloomington Normal. Hey, could you guys use some money? Yep, we could use some money. So we made another donation to them. So I got, all right, I got a couple thousand more dollars here. What do we do with this? And I thought, well, there's that uh, church planter couple uh, down in Decatur. I wonder if they could use some money. So I sent Kendall a text saying, hey, um, I got to spend some money before the end of the year. Could you use a couple thousand dollars? And pretty quickly, he sent me back a text saying, you have no idea how providential your text is today. A ministry need just arose today. We just became aware of a ministry need and we didn't think we were going to be able to do it. So we were just kind of like, yeah, we probably can't do that. He said, and then we got a text from you. I think that's a God wink, folks. I don't think that's a coincidence. And so we sent $2,000 to the church plant in Decatur. That beautiful couple, their children. See, God's winking at us all the time. I think what God is inviting us to do is to be open to his wink, saying, I'm communicating with you. I'm talking to you. With that image, let us pray. <laughs> Lord, you are good, and you certainly have a sense of humor. So God, thank you for making us chuckle. Thank you for making us smile. God, thank you for reminding us that when everything seems crazy and nuts and broken and fallen apart, you are winking at us saying, I've got this. I'm still good. I'm still faithful. And he's still inviting us to trust in him. So Lord, help us to respond to your God winks. Give us eyes to see open hearts to experience and lives walk alongside you and share with others what you are up to. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer.